one and all. Your host, Billy Dean Shoemate III here. And today, we're going to talk about one of the most enduring mysteries that uh, doesn't get discussed a, a whole lot. <laughs> you see the occasional YouTube video and whatever, but um, it's the Philadelphia Experiment. This is something that's deeply fascinating to me. Because I'm a bit of a geek at heart. <laughs> I love stories about technological achievements and, um, I mean, from the kind of strange arena, the supernatural arena, the, the kind of paranormal, did Bob Lazar back engineer an antimatter reactor, right? Did Nikola Tesla have some bizarre inventions? Does the chronovisor exist? You know, stuff like that. Love that kind of stuff. And the Philadelphia experiment kind of piques my interest <laughs> in, the, in that arena. And it could be discussed everywhere, all day, every day. It could be on the cover of every magazine. And to me, it still won't be discussed enough. So let's, <laughs> let me, you know, make that clear. I'm just a geek for this kind of stuff. So on this episode, we're going to talk about the Philadelphia Experiment. Thank you for tuning in to Strange Places. This podcast is brought to you by Prevail Guitar Works and DistroKid. Yeah, we got sponsors now. How cool is that? <laughs> so listen to the end of the uh, of the end of the show here, because we have some cool little sponsory things going on with DistroKid. Anyway, I don't want this to be an ad. But yeah, we're sponsored now. Moving up in the world. How cool is that? <laughs> Maybe start making some money from this damn thing. But we don't do it for that. I'm just fascinated by this kind of stuff. I realized I could, you know, I run another podcast too. And I realized, you know, I could talk about this shit for hours. <laughs> so I might as well uh, turn on the mic and go, right? So the Philadelphia Experiment. It's a conspiracy theory about a military experiment supposed to have been carried out by the U.S. Navy at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, PA, which, you know, gives it its name, obviously. Philadelphia Experiment. Sometime around October 28th, 1943, the U.S. Navy destroyer escort, the USS Eldridge, was claimed to have been rendered invisible or cloaked to enemy devices with some interesting results. The story originated in late 1955 when an ex-merchant marine named Carl M. Allen, who claimed to be a witness to the event, sent a book uh, full of handwritten, I could say, annotations, referring to the experiment uh, to a U.S. Navy research organization, and a little later, a series of letters making further claims to a UFO book writer. Allen's account of the event is widely understood to be a hoax. The... You know, as far as the uh, <laughs> as far as the scholarly people go, the historical people, right? The U.S. Navy maintains that no such experiment was ever conducted. How U.S. Navy of them <laughs> that the details of the story contradict well-established facts about the USS Eldridge, and that the alleged claims go against laws of physics. All right. Even if it was true, uh, which we'll examine later, because that's what we do on the show. We uh, look at the strange thing itself and then, you know, use some kind of common sense to see if this thing is more than likely legit. Because I think, as I say in every show, and I will say it in every show, <laughs> that 
as far as paranormal research and supernatural stuff goes and stuff like this, I think common sense is lacking big time in the study of it these days. And that's what I kind of offer with strange places. But at the end of it, I mean, it's it's still an opinion piece, right? It's just uh, coming from a place where I don't have any preconceived anything as badly as I want it to be what it is, you know? So the story of the Philadelphia experiment originated in 1955 when the before-mentioned Carl M. M. Allen sent an anonymous package marked Happy Easter containing a copy of Morris K. Jessup's book The Case for the UFO, Unidentified Flying Objects to the U.S. Office of Naval Research. The book was filled with handwritten notes and its margins, written with three different shades of blue ink, appearing to detail a debate among three individuals, only one of whom is given a name. Jimmy. They commented on Jessup's ideas about the propulsion for flying saucers, discuss alien races, and express concern. Now, this is important. I know it's going weird, but <laughs> it's important. That Jessup was too close to discovering their technology. The commenters referred to each other as gypsies and discussed two different types of people living in outer space. Their text contained non-standard use of capitalization and punctuation and detailed a lengthy discussion of the merits of various elements of Jessup's assumptions in the book. There were oblique references to the Philadelphia experiment. One commenter reissues his fellow annotations who have highlighted a certain theory which Jessup advanced. Now, shortly thereafter, around 1956... Allen began sending a series of letters to Jessup using his given name as well as Carlos Miguel Elende. The first known letter warned Jessup not to investigate the levitation of unidentified flying objects. Allen put forward a story of dangerous science based on unpublished theories by Albert Einstein. This gets interesting. He further claimed a science, uh, scientist named Franklin Reno put these theories into practice at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in October of 1943. Allen claimed to have witnessed this experiment himself while serving aboard the, the SS uh, Andrew Furseth. Uh, I, I can never pronounce that correctly, so I apologize. In Allen's account, a destroyer escort was successfully made invisible, but the ship inexplicably uh, teleported to Norfolk, Virginia for several minutes and then reappeared in the Philadelphia Yard. The ship's crew was supposed to have suffered extreme side effects, including insanity, intangibility, and being frozen in place. When Jessup, and it gets weirder too, just keep listening. When Jessup wrote back, uh, requesting more information to corroborate his story, Alan said his memory would have to be recovered and referred Jessup to what seems to be a non-existent Philadelphia newspaper article that Alan claimed covered the incident. In 1957, Jessup was invited to the Office of Naval Research where he was shown the annotated copy of his book. Jessup noticed the handwriting of the annotations resembled the letters he received from Allen. Twelve years later, Allen would say that he authored all of the annotations in order to scare the hell out of Jessup, by the way. Two officers at uh, ONR, Captain Sidney Sherby and Commander George W. Hoover, took a personal interest in the matter. Hoover actually uh, explained that his duties as special projects officer required him to investigate many publications that he ultimately found nothing of substance to the alleged invisibility experiment. 
Hoover discussed the annotations with Austin N. Stanton, president of Vero Manufacturing Corporation of uh, Garland, Texas, during meetings about Vero's contact work for ONR. Now, Stanton, he, he became so interested <laughs> that Vero's office began producing mimeographed copies of Jessup's book with the annotations and Allen's letters, first a dozen and eventually 127 copies, like that. These copies came to be known as the Vero edition. Besides noting handwriting of the individual named Jemmy, addressed as such by the others using the blue-violet ink, the anonymous introduction to the Vero edition concludes that there were two other individuals making annotations, Mr. A, Mr. B. Jessup tried to publish more books on the subject of UFOs, but was unsuccessful at best. Losing his publisher and experiencing a succession of downturns in his personal life actually led him to take his own life in Florida in 1959. Now, the various book writers who tried to get more info from Carl Allen found his responses elusive, or couldn't find him at all. One reporter from Allen's home of uh, New Kensington, PA, interviewed his family and was handed just a pile of documents and books all scribbled with his annotations. They described him as kind of a fantastic mind, but a drifter and kind of a kind of a bullshitter, <laughs> you know, a leg puller, you know. So this all began as somebody who just recounted this thing in the margins of some book, right? And it happened to get all over the place. In 1963, Vincent Gaddis published a book uh, called Invisible Horizons, The True Mysteries of the Sea. In it, recounted the story of the experiment from the Vero Annotations. So, the origins of the Philadelphia Experiment story are on shaky ground already. And now someone publishes a book recounting the story from this kind of questionable account, <laughs> right? That was kind of, it's, it, it, it's on some kind of, uh, what's, what's the best way to say this? It's on some sh shoddy scaffolding already, <laughs> but still a really interesting story, something that anybody would look into, right? It's, it's a cool story. Could it be true? Uh, we'll find out. George E. Simpson and Neil R. Berger published a 1978 novel called Thin Air. In this book, set in the present day, a naval investigative service officer investigates several threads linking wartime invisibility to exper experiments to a conspiracy involving matter transmission technology. Large-scale popularization of the story came about in about 1979, when the author Charles Berlitz, who had uh, written a best-selling book on the Bermuda Triangle, and his co-author, William L. Moore, ufologist, published the Philadelphia Experiment Project Invisibility, which purported to be a factual account. The book expanded on stories of bizarre happenings, lost unified field theories by Albert Einstein, government cover-ups, all based on the letters to Jessup. Moore and Berlitz, they devoted one of the last chapters in the Philadelphia Experiment Project Invisibility to the force fields of Townsend Brown, namely the experimenter and then U.S. Navy technician Thomas Townsend Brown. They recount some mysterious involvement. Uh, see, it, it's, it gets convoluted a little bit. We'll break it down simply. Um... So let's just kind of get into the meat of this thing. The experiment was allegedly based on an aspect of some unified field theory, a term coined by Albert Einstein to describe a class of potential theories, uh, such 
such theories would aim to describe mathematically and physically the uh, interrelated nature of the forces of electromagnetism. I can't talk today. (laughs) Electromagnetism and gravity. In other words, uniting their respective fields into a single field. Now, according to some accounts, unspecified researchers uh, thought that some version of this field would enable using large electrical generators to bend light around an object via refraction. So, um, so that the object became completely invisible. The Navy regarded this as of military value, and it sponsored the experiment. Another unattributed version of the story proposes that researchers were preparing magnetic and gravitational measurements of the seafloor to detect anomalies, supposedly based on Einstein's attempts to understand gravity. In this version, there were also related secret experiments in Nazi Germany to find anti-gravity, allegedly led by SS uh, Hans Kemmler. There are no reliable, attributable accounts, but in most accounts of the supposed experiment, the USS Eldridge was fitted with the required equipment at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. Testing began, supposedly, in the summer of 1943, and it was supposedly successful to a limited extent. One test resulted in the Eldridge being rendered nearly invisible, with some witnesses reporting a greenish fog appearing in its place. Crew members complained of severe nausea afterwards. Also, reportedly, when the ship reappeared, some sailors were embedded in the metal structures of the ship, fused to the ship itself including one sailor who ended up on a deck level below than where he began and has had his hand embedded in the steel hull of the ship, as well as some sailors who went completely insane. There's also a claim that the experiment was altered after that point at the request of the Navy, limiting it to creating a stealth technology that would render the USS Eldritch invisible to radar. None of these allegations have been independently substantiated as of yet, but a lot of other things that we've kind of proven on this show, in my opinion, didn't either. So let's keep learning here. The conjecture then claims that the equipment was not properly recalibrated. But in spite of this, the experiment was repeated on October 28, 1943. This time, the Eldridge not only became invisible, but it disappeared from the area in a flash of blue light and teleported to Norfolk, Virginia. That's 200 miles away. It is claimed that... Eldridge sat for some time in view of the men aboard the, you know, aboard his ship, the SS Andrew, I can't pronounce it, (laughs) whereupon Eldridge vanished and then reappeared in Philadelphia at the site it had uh, originally occupied. It was said that the warship went approximately 10 minutes back in time. Yeah, we're messing with time now, too. Many versions of the tale include descriptions of serious side effects for the crew. You know, like I said, some were fused to the bulkheads. While others suffered from mental disorders, some materialized inside out, and still some others vanished. Pretty, uh, pretty insane tale here. It's also claimed that the ship's crew may have been subjected to brainwashing to maintain the secrecy of the experiment. Seems always like a go-to thing with conspiracy theories, right? <laughs> but um, I think with every theory, there's a kernel of truth. With every story, there's a nugget of truth in there somewhere. It comes from somewhere every time. So at one point, I believe uh, this was a tactic. It only makes sense to me. It's logical, you know, <laughs> uh, brain that brainwashing would be a thing. It, did it happen in this case? I don't know. 
There's a, there's a historian, Mike Dash. He notes, and I read a lot of stuff from him in research for this. He notes that many authors who publicized the Philadelphia Experiment story after that of Jessup appeared to have conducted little or no research of their own. Th- through the late 70s, for example, um, Allen was often described as m- a bit mysterious and really hard to f- locate. But uh, it was determined that the his identity after only a few telephone calls. Others speculate that much of the key literature emphasizes dramatic embellishment rather than pertinent research. The their work is it's it's really funny. Even the the book the Philadelphia Experiment Project Invisibility has been criticized for plagiarizing key story elements from the novel Thin Air, which was published a year earlier. By the way. It's not life imitating art. It could be the other way around. Now, personnel at the 4th Naval District have uh, suggested that the alleged event was a misunderstanding of routine research during World War II at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. An earlier theory was that the foundation for the apocryphal stories arose from degaussing experiments which have the effect of making a ship undetectable or invisible to magnetic minds. Another possible origin of the stories about levitation, teleportation, and effects on human crew might be attributed to experiments with the generating plant of the destroyer USS Timmerman, whereby, and this actually happened, a higher frequency generator produced corona discharges, although none of the crew reported suffering effects from the experiment. What's a corona discharge? It's an electrical discharge caused by... Uh, well, I'm not going to get into sciencey shit for you. It's just a an insane electrical discharge. Others have argued that it's inappropriate to grant credence to an unusual story promoted by one individual <laughs> of the absence of corroborating evidence. Robert Goeman wrote in Fate magazine in 1980 that Carlos Allende, like Carl Allen, as we know now, who was said to have corresponded with Jessup, um he had an established history of uh, psychiatric illness who may have fabricated the primary history of the experiment as a result of that illness. A lot of people later realized that Alan um, was creative and imaginative, but had often made bizarre writings and claims before. There are some timeline inconsistencies that we need to look at here and alternative alternative explanations. And then we'll get into the evidence part of it, which is interesting. The USS Eldridge was not commissioned until August 27th, 1943. Okay, keep that in mind. And it remained in port in New York until September of 1943. The October experiment took place, allegedly, while the ship was on its first shakedown cruise in the Bahamas. Although proponents of the story claim that the ship's logs may have been falsified or else still be classified. Is that possible? Entirely. Um... And it, it 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 wouldn't be the first time either. So that's that's pretty eh, could be. The Office of Naval Research, the ONR, which I should have said earlier what that was, stated in September of 1996, uh, ONR has never conducted investigations on radar invisibility either in 43 or at any other time. They wrote it off as science fiction. A reunion of Navy vets who had served ab- aboard the actual USS Eldridge told the Philadelphia newspaper in 1999 that their ship had never made port in Philly. 
Further evidence discounting the Philadelphia Experiment timeline comes from USS Eldridge's complete World War II action report, including the remarks section of the 1943 deck log available on microfilm. Could this have been something whitewashed or covered up? Government's done it before. You know, why would they not do it with something this big, right? <laughs> as far as other explanations as to what happened, researcher Jacques Vallée, and I'm, I'm probably butchering the shit out of that, describes a procedure on board the USS Angstrom, which was docked alongside the Eldridge, actually, in 1943. Now, this is important. The operation involved the generation of a powerful electromagnetic field on board the ship in order to deperm or degauss it with the goal of rendering the ship undetectable to magnetically fused undersea mines and torpedoes, not to just regular human sight. This system was invented by a Canadian, actually. Charles F. Uh, Goodeve, I believe. Let me see this. Check my notes. I try to memorize as much as this is possible. Yeah, I got that right. While he held the rank of uh, commander in the Royal Canadian Naval Volunteer Reserve and the Royal Navy. And other navies used it widely during World War II. This is known. British ships of the era uh, often included such degaussing systems built into the upper decks. The conduits are still visible on some ships today, actually. Degaussing is still used today. However, it has no effect on visible light or radar. That's the thing doesn't affect your actual human vision or radar, nor does it teleport anything. Valet speculates the, the accounts of the USS Eggstrom's degaussing may have been garbled and confabulated in subsequent retellings, and that these accounts may have influenced the story of the Philadelphia Experiment. He cites a veteran who served aboard the USS Eggstrom who suggests it might have traveled from Philadelphia to Norfolk and back again in a day at a time when merchant ships really couldn't. By the use of the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal on Chesapeake Bay, which at the time was open only to naval vessels. Now, that's an argument that a lot of people have is that if that could have done it, it had to be teleportation. That's impossible. But what you fail to remember is that this theoretically, I mean, in real life here, could be possible to travel to Philly to Norfolk in a day with ships at that time and how fast they go, they went or didn't go <laughs> because the Delaware canal and Chesapeake Bay that at the time it was only open to Navy. And if you go back and do the research, you're not going to find this. So it, it, it could be possible. Use of that channel was kept very, very quiet. That's why German submarines had ravaged shipping along the East coast during operation drumbeat and thus military ships unable to protect themselves were secretly moved via canals like that to avoid the threat. That's why you're not going to find any evidence of those canals being used during the time. It was extremely classified. The same veteran claims to be that the, the man that Allende witnessed disappearing at a bar. He claims that when a fight broke out, friendly barmaids whisked him out of the bar before police arrived, before he was, un, you know, because he was underage drinking. So, you know, old boy who came up with the theory pretty much, quote unquote, saying, uh, you know, disappeared. They covered up for him, you know, saying that he disappeared. Uh, this is a, uh, this story is a mess <laughs> as far as uh, how the story came to be, where it actually came from. And then not only did I want to look at the skeptic point of it, we try to look at the whole gamut. We try to look at the whole thing, right? And try to find some evidence of this thing. 
I got to tell you guys, I researched my ass off. I mean, I'm doing it right now. And there's nothing. There's just nothing. It's a lot of it is just uh, uh, kind of apocryphal accounts. Um, I mean, I'm going to, I'll, and just in case I missed something, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look it up right now. You probably hear my keyboard clacking. I'm just not seeing any evidence. An entire ship apparently disappeared and traveled 40 years into the future. Yeah. I didn't even mention that. Um, it's, it's, it, it's bizarre. It's baseless. To me, anyway, because I'm not finding any evidence to the contrary of this skeptic, what's available there. It's been circulating for years, and it's been uh, debunked previously. I wouldn't say debunked. It's just that there's nothing on the other end to prove it. According to an article, the story of this experiment is referred to as Project Rainbow. The article states, as part of Project Rainbow, while docked at Philadelphia Navy Yard in 1943, the Eldridge was fitted with powerful generators and something called a Time Zero generator. When this was switched on, the Eldridge was engulfed in a greenish haze. Then with the imprint of its hull still visible in the water, the ship disappeared for 20 minutes. Following the experiment, the crew was highly excitable, even ravingly insane. Well, like I said earlier, people fused to the fucking hull. Now, where does this 40-year thing come from? Uh, I didn't see this previously during my research. I knew it had uh, apparently time-traveled. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's, the story is hokum, a lot of people say, created by an eccentric UFO enthusiast, Carl Allen, in 56. I don't see... Um, yeah, I'm just... I'm really looking here, guys. I'm not seeing... I'm not even seeing any kind of uh, story about this going 40 years into the future, apparently. There's no evidence of that being photographed or anybody that says they'd seen the Eldridge just appear somewhere. You know, 40, you know it's just, uh, I don't see anything. And I'm really, really fucking looking, man. You have your specials about it. You have your kind of history channel sort of bullshit about it. <laughs> I love the history channel, but it's entertainment. You just, you have to see it that way. And I saw a couple of things they did on the Philadelphia experiment where they're, you know, looking at pictures of the hull and trying to come on. There's nothing there. It's a cool story <laughs> that the Navy was working on some kind of cloaking device that would not only work with the mines in the sea at the time, but would render itself completely invisible to all forms of observation. And through some either design flaw or on purpose, this thing was able to travel not only through distance, but through time itself. The story is widely thought to be a hoax. And as much as I want it to be a thing, I need, I, I'm kind of starting to agree with them. I don't care about it challenging commonly accepted physics. That's not why I'm leaning towards bunk here. Because we're not king shit in this cosmos here, okay? Human beings are babies in all this. 
we're constantly changing our theories. We're constantly learning new things. We don't have physics wrapped up in a neat little fucking bow. And there's things out there in the cosmos as well as microscopically that are challenging the laws that we've made of physics already. Who's to say that we're not going to discover something and that's going to make Newton wrong? I know that these are well-established things and these are laws, but if they're fucking laws, why do we keep finding things that challenge them? Is it that we don't know the all the factors at play here? Yeah, possibly. But like, I'm just trying to make a point here for all you fans of Neil deGrasse Tyson out there. <laughs> that we don't have physics all wrapped up neatly in a bow. I don't think that proves uh, discounting the Philadelphia experiment to me. Because we don't know all of it yet. And... Do I put this beyond the U.S. military of trying to do something like this? I don't put it past them at all. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that they have worked on something like this in the past, or tried to. And we'll get to that on another episode. My, my grandfather worked in aerospace for 36 years. And I remember him telling some telling me something when he was a kid. There was some shit that he worked on that he could not talk about. And even when we were sitting alone in his living room, as a little kid, you know, you're fascinated by it. And you want to poke at him and see, you know, is he going to let something out? And I was like that even when I was a grown-up. You know, I was just like, can I make him slip, you know, just one thing? And he would always reply with the same thing. Big Brother's always watching. He would say this. And my grandfather was not a bullshitter. He would say, Big Brother's always watching. He's like, I can't talk about this stuff. And that I, I, I always kind of stuck with me. It's like, he always had this look on his face like, I can't talk about this stuff because they'll hear me. I'm thinking the whole time, what the fuck did he work on? And there's stories that have been passed down through the family and stuff like that. But one thing he did kind of reveal to me when I was quite a bit older is... He told me any technology that, and take it from a guy who worked in fucking aerospace for 36 years, okay, (laughs) for a long time, actually helped design the propulsion system for the very classified at the time uh, B2, I'm not B2, (laughs) the stealth, the stealth bomber. He was one of the guys that helped design the propulsion system for it. My grandpa was a fucking heavyweight boy. So take this seriously, (laughs) as I did. He said... When we have some new technology that comes out in the media, oh my God, they invented the cell phone. We can make wireless calls. Oh, dude, the internet. We can talk to anybody in the world. He said, take whatever new developments there are, the tablet, right? The pocket calculator. He's like, take any of this stuff. The government knew about it 20 years before you did. He said, that's just how things work. They stumble upon this technology or someone creates this technology. The government goes, okay, hold up. We need to take a look at this first. See if it's something that will, number one, work for us and something, number two, that we need to make sure we shouldn't classify as some kind of a safety measure. The the government always has their hand in it. That's what he said. And then once they find out it's not something that will pose any kind of danger or national security issue, that's when they kind of take it out there into the world. And we've learned that, you know, with the internet and shit. But my grandpa said that, you know, that's what happens with everything. Philadelphia Experiment, getting back to that. I was just saying, I mean, is that something that the government would do? Yes. <laughs> because I knew a guy that at one point was working on some pretty Star Trekky shit at the time. 
a plane invisible to radar? Are you shitting me? And he was working on the stealth. This was going back way before the public knew about this fucker. Way before that. God knows what else he knew. And the stealth is one of the things he actually talked about. <laughs> because it got declassified. There was some stuff he didn't talk about. I'm fascinated by it to this day. But, um, and this isn't bullshit either. <laughs> you know, this guy, my grandfather, man, he was in it. He was in it. The USS Eldridge. Did this really happen? I want it to. <laughs> I really want it to. But I'm not seeing any evidence to the contrary, man. It's a great story. This thing travels. They're working on some experimental shit, you know, it, uh, due to a side effect or by design. It appears in some other place. Uh, I'm seeing reports that this thing traveled 20 years into the future, 40 years. Nobody really knows. The crew comes back. They're fused to the fucking hull, you know. It's scary shit. Some of them are turned inside out. Some of them are completely insane, babbling about some other dimension. Awesome story. I'm just not seeing anything outside of that. If I had to put a lid on the Philadelphia experiment, I gotta debunk this, man. I have to. I just, I, there's nothing compelling out of this. We have to take into consideration that pretty much the guy who broke this thing had, I'm not going to judge him as a person, so I'm not going to say about his psychological issues, apparently, or any of this. I'm not a fucking psychologist, nor did I know the guy. So the only things that I'm going to be able to read this long after the fact is based on what other people have observed. I can't sit down with this guy and really look at him. Not like Bob Lazar, where we can look at, you know, uh, really study him and see his body language and his cadence, where we can really feel like we kind of get to know this guy. He's been out there a lot lately. This old boy, Carl M. Allen, we, we really, I, I, I just don't feel right judging him. This guy was born on May 31st, 1925. He died in 1994. Now I've seen some things here and there with him. Not enough to make any kind of a judgment. So all I'm going to say is that, let's say this guy was completely of his sound mind and he said this happened and he made the annotations in this book and all this shit and that's how it got out, right? I don't see it going beyond, this was just a story. There's nothing. There's no evidence, man. There's nothing. <laughs> uh, I think this is, um, I'm not going to pin that this guy wanted to create a hoax or that there was some something nefarious going on here for whatever reason. I'll just say it that way. And I'm not playing it safe. I'm playing it logically, right? <laughs> you dig? I'm, I'm trying to play this logically. I can't judge this guy. I'm just going to say that through one reason or another, he came up with this account of something that happened there's been nothing to suggest that it has. No photographs, no other accounts, nothing from any other military. In fact, you know, some of the uh, veterans that the, they spoke to that were on the other ship looking at this fucking thing, supposedly on the day that this happened, nobody is corroborating this. Who was around at the time? Absolutely nobody. Just Carl M. Allen. And that's not enough. Not judging Carl M. Allen because of you know mental things or whatever. Like I said, we we can't, we don't have enough 
with this guy. We, nor do we have any photographs, nor do we have any other accounts. If it's just one person saying that this happened, it's, it's not good enough for me. Why do we still talk about the Philadelphia experiment today? Because it's fascinating. And it really taps into our love of kind of science fiction or uh, modern day kind of legends and stuff like that. We love shit like that. You know, was was there some kind of secret technology, you know, time travel and you know, it has all these cool elements in it. Got a bit of horror in there, got a bit of time travel, you know. It's it's a it, that's why we're still talking about it. It's not because in my opinion anyway, common sense opinion, it's not that something crazy happened with the USS Eldridge. It's just that this story is so out there and it's so awesome. It's it's really real it's really interesting. Once you hear it, it's like, man, you just, you think about it, right? And you think about the guys like fused to the hole and it's, it's creepy. If the only person that we have taking his mental state completely out of the equation, taking his military record out of the equation, I don't care if this guy is completely squeaky clean and the greatest firsthand witness to anything ever. Photographic memory, never fucked up his story, doesn't matter. This whole story is basically, when you really get down to it, coming from one guy. It's going to be bunked regardless. Especially with no photos, no video, (laughs) right? No other accounts. Nobody 20 years later, 40 years later, however long it was, saw the USS Eldridge or any ship looking like it mysteriously just appearing somewhere. No one's ever reported that. I got to say, Philadelphia Experiment... I think it's just a story, man. A great one. (laughs) Modern day science fiction. One of my favorite kind of stories like this. Unknown event kind of things. There's just not enough there. What do you think of the Philadelphia Experiment? What's your take on it? Did I leave out some crucial detail? Huh? Is there something that I missed? Let me know. Go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com. You'll see a button at the top that'll take you to the Strange Places podcast. There's a forum on there where you can reach out to me. Let's engage, man. Let's make this a bit of a discussion. Let me know what you think about the Philadelphia Experiment. Okay? There's also links to our social media accounts on there, including Patreon, which uh, you should check it out, man. Early access to episodes, bonus stuff, free giveaways at certain tiers, all kinds of shit, sign things, a podcast just for the patrons. Who does that? That's madness, right? <laughs> so go and check it out. Uh, shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Michelle Donald David. Special shout out to the Curtis Rose Show YouTube channel, YouPoob. I said YouPoob. <laughs> that was almost a Freudian slip there. YouPoob? Yeah. That's what they should call it these days, huh? So <laughs> Curtis Rose Show YouTube channel. Check it out. Uh, he does like these kind of nerdy rants, video game stuff. Very unlike this, but uh, he supports the show and his show just happens to be awesome. So check it out. Curtis Rose Show. Anyway, I'll catch you guys on the next episode of Strange Places. Are we ever going you know, to, like I said, go on Asylumite17.com. Be a part of the discussion here. Let me know that I missed something. Huh? Do you want to throw your hat into the ring? You did? Go ahead. Send me a message. I want to hear from you. So thanks for listening again. And we'll see you on the next episode. Are we ever going to run out of strange places? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place. And maybe one day, we'll visit yours.
The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is the place for an independent or unsigned musician to get their music on every streaming platform imaginable. If you want your music out there for the world to hear, look no further. See, I'm picky with sponsors. If someone contacts me to be a part of this thing, I want it to be a company and a product that I actually use myself on a regular basis. All of my albums and singles that I've ever released have been through DistroKid, so believe me when I tell you they are the real deal. I've been a musician for a long time, and when I say that DistroKid gives you 100% of your royalties, I still feel like I need to pinch myself. The industry does not work that way. For only 20 bucks a year, yeah, you heard me right, 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music you made and get it out everywhere people stream music. My albums are worldwide, yours should be too. By going to the link provided in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year of the already insane measly 20 bucks a year. You'll be supporting the show and getting your music heard, so check out the affiliate link in this episode's description. Thanks, DistroKid, for being a part of Strange Places and for giving this old dog an audience. <laughs>